Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host on Talk Design. I started this podcast because I wanted to share the journey of design that I've had and that many others have had. And I find it inspirational talking to people globally about what makes design tick and what makes design create a better world for others. My journey has taken me from clothing globally, women's swimwear, performance sportswear, mountaineering, yachting, all these kind of genres where each place I would learn more and more about different specifics and how clothing can support those. Also, I've worked in innovation as a systematic innovation trainer and worked with the aerospace industry as well as the marketing industry and the design industry. And all my years of design, still my favorite is the built structure and interiors and years of travel and discovery, I constantly look at what the emotions are that are created by the built space. I consider myself a student of design for my whole life and will go on that way. Some of the things that I do to support this is my podcast and then workshops and masterclasses where I teach people about trends and design thinking and tours where I take people on tour with me and we go and discover different points of architecture or interior design globally. I always think that when you're passionate about something, one of the things that you should do is is you should share it. And so creating the podcast was my way of sharing my enthusiasm and the enthusiasm of others and their passions around design with you. I hope you really enjoy it. And I ask you, would you please drop us a line? Tell us what you think. Tell us what got you excited. It's so inspiring when we get messages from our listeners that tell us about the things that shifted in their life because of who they listen to. And it gives me the inspiration to dig deeper and find more people that I can bring to your ears so that you live a better design life. My guest on Talk Design today is Brad Hubble from Hubble Daily Architecture. Now, Hubble Daily are positioned near Mirren County. I know your office and you you moved home recently, but in Mirren County in the San Francisco area. And Brad and I have known each other for a couple of years, and we actually meet regularly and talk about design, what's happening, where things are going, marketing, and all things architecture, as well as a lot of other stuff as well. But we finally got Brad. I got Brad to say, yes, I'll come on the podcast. So I want him to share some of his wisdom and his story with you all because a fascinating guy and a real empathy for the land, people, and the situation of architecture within those contexts. So, Brad, welcome to the show. That's exciting. That's awesome. I'm so excited to be here, Adrian. It's like it blanked out a bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But thank you for the introduction. That's awfully generous of you. And and I'm excited to be here. Uh, And it's it's a lot of fun to share ideas and concepts with you weekly and then be able to have this opportunity to sort of solidify that into this podcast is great. yeah sharing it with a wider audience and inspiring other people with the thinking i think is the idea of it and also unearthing the the depth of the journey starting with the depth of the journey at some point brad decided to be an architect let's go back beyond that and so when you when did you first discover what architecture was how did you become aware of the fact that architecture was even a thing what happened? How did it all fall together? Well, that's well. When I was eight, that's when I remember thinking I want to be an architect, right? Uh, and I don't remember exactly what 
flip the trigger on that. But I remember my mother was a, at the time she was a ceramic teacher. So she mm -hmm. was dealing with a lot of clay, a lot of three-dimensional elements. And I would go and play in the studio with clay and mold things. And my father was a, a, a professional photographer. So he was, he had a studio and we would uh, play around with lights and there's a lot of depth of field. And I think all of that is just part of who I am, that the form, the light, space, volume, however you want to describe it. And then you toss in materials and colors and textures, and you have this really rich playground. I, I, so that's the best I could say is there's no definitive. I saw Le Corbusier house and that was it. I was sold. <laughs> it was more a conglomeration of all just these essences of this aptitude of myself. Yeah, and over the years, it just became more and more home is what embodies my interest in my talent. And, and it, that that's where it started. Yeah. Wow. And, how did you know that the discipline of architecture even existed? So did your parents say, well, the person who does that is an architect or they, like a lot of, I remember That's as a kid, yeah. I thought that builders did everything. I had no mm. idea. When I was little, I had no idea that it was, that there was other people who did it. I thought it was just a builder came and did things. And I got that there was some kind of like, plans or ideas because my dad was a fine artist and so when we built mm -hmm. onto our house he kind of sketched some bits and pieces and then but a builder came and did it there was no architect there was nobody else right. turned up for it it was just a builder and maybe the builder even drafted the plans I don't I don't remember right but yeah well, at that time I think my grandmother was building her house ah. I remember that they're, you know, I'm just making that as yep. you were talking, I yeah. was thinking, what that was going connection. on at that time that would have made that connection? And I was, you know, at eight, it would have been about the time that she was building a house for herself. And I, I don't recall looking at drawings per se, but I, I remember there being drawings laid out and yeah. that could have been that, that, that process of oh well this is what an architect does and seeing it happening as well as these other interests of mine yeah i'm 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 kind of creating a past here a bit but that could be what influenced yeah but, but some... that that's the profession that combined all those things together right yeah that that something yeah that there was some there was some body of people that did it like i right. know for me i used to i i, I couldn't read because of being dyslexic and so my dad well, I could read but not well my dad was like well maybe if we get you reading something you're interested in maybe that will help mm. and uh, so he tried me out on Louis L'Amour western novels and I oh, ran off right. down a romantic notion of you know being a cowboy in the west or some such thing and yeah, yeah. in doing that I we had an endless supply of like cardboard and felt pens and you know, glue and sellotape and stuff like that in our house. And I'd always made models of all sorts of things from, you know, bats to, they used to have a massive bat hanging across the ceiling in my bedroom, which there, there's very few bats around New Zealand. If there are, they're very small compared to big, large bats. But I had a big bat that I built out of cardboard, you know, and shaped it all yeah. and bent it and all that. And I used to make little Western towns, Oh, cool. Right. So, you know, be making each piece. And my parents told me that that was the, the study of, you know, well, that, that was what architects did. Oh. That they, they designed, in their case, I'm pretty sure they, they felt that they designed towns as well as just the, the separate pieces. So, you right. know, they, they, whether they were right or wrong or whether that's just how I took it, but I don't think there was a lot of urban planning going on in a Western town in the day. You know, it was kind of like right. a, a, sal a saloon, a bank, and a brothel, you know, and, and a general store. Yeah. It's sort of organically uh, spreading through the main street. A main street. Like, yeah. Yeah. Of some well, kind I, of as you're, I was just thinking, you reminded me of something. My best friends, there, there, there were three of us as like a trio. Yeah. And 
it was it was I was eight. I know I was eight because it was third grade, and we were walking down. I can see it in my mind. We we're walking yep. down the hall. We're all bantering about what we're gonna do as we grow up. And I was like, I want to be an architect. My other friend was like, yeah, I want to be a structural engineer. And my other one was like, yeah, well, I want to be a builder. We could make a team together, you know? <laughs> so knowing that there had to, I'm, you know, I just know it was there. And my yeah. parents had lots of collection of art books. So I think there was art yeah, history right. and, you know, in with art history, they have buildings and as yeah. part of the, so yeah. I think that just was ingrained in because you could have easily ended up going off down down the route of being a photographer. With your dad being a photographer, it would have been very easy to end up in the same space. Or a fine artist of some sort. Yeah. 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 Well, and- I actually, jumping ahead here, in high school, I took architecture classes and I had a focus of going to a school that had a really strong architecture school for college and university. And I went to Tulane University with the idea that I'll take the first year to get my general credits out of the way and I'll transfer in. And then I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to be an architect. Let me just take a break here and get sort of like the Renaissance education and see what else is out there and just sort of see what I fall into is maybe architecture is, is one thing, but let's just see what else is out there. And I gravitated towards art and, and that's where I got my degree was in bachelor of arts with a concentration in painting and along the way just exploring graphic design which i then dabbled in but i realized it's not three-dimensional enough mm-hmm. after i graduated mm-hmm. i tried it and i was like yeah this has some immediacy which is nice and the project's really quick there's a lot yep. of time crunch and pressure but there's just not that three-dimensional element there's not that passion of, of form and space and light and then i was also missing the people Mm. I didn't get the people portion. And I've always enjoyed working with people. Mm. So that's interesting. Graphic design is interesting on its own. But for me, I wanted to work with people and blend the two. Yeah. Yeah. Is And the other thing is, is I always think with photography, you've got this massive, there's a high level of creativity, but then there's also a high level of analytics. And with mm. art... There is analytics. It's just different compared to the analytics, the, the the complexity of the analytics you use in creating the built structure. It's you know like the analytics, and then you you double those down when it becomes the land, and then you double them down again when it becomes the people, mm. and then you know like everything that you are drawing has somebody else has to have that as an instruction booklet to build it, yeah. and. Right, it, it, you know, like it's it's complex and it's ex, it's big and expensive as well. So even if it's small, right. it's still got a, a fair bit of cost attached to it, and then also it's got longevity attached to it. It's mm-hmm. um, you know very rarely do you do something unless it was maybe for a stage show or a, a set of some kind or something that's modular. You know, like for. Like, I'm trying to think of like exposition. a conference, an exposition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and other than that, it's it's all got longevity. And even if it's for an exposition, it's often got longevity in the sense it that it's going to be it used to be again somewhere and set up and put down, broken yeah. down and set up and broken. Down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. In fact, it that just becomes more entry. complex. <laughs> it does. That's cool. I'd love to do that. <laughs> yeah, for the complexity and then the truckability, and again, this is the analytics that comes alive. That's right. And who's yeah. got to handle it? what the weights are, what, right. you know, how you protect it. It's, is it staying domestic or is it flying across an ocean? If yeah. Flying really. across an ocean, maybe it needs to do different materials. And so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Will it get through customs at the other end? Will <laughs> ag and fish, will ag and fish destroy it before they give it back to us? Right. Yeah. Just all these things. And I think that that, the joy of that complexity, like you said, oh, mm. I'd like to do that. You know, the joy of yeah. that complexity is part of the, the joy of creating built structures and you know like every kid well i say say every that's probably a broad statement lots of kids grow up stacking boxes on top of each other mm-hmm. playing with mm-hmm. building blocks creating forms and mm-hmm. nowadays we see a lot more of that form or a lot of those forms being created in things like minecraft and stuff like that right right and that makes it very hard for 
adults or you know the the parents to necessarily interact and go on the journey because it's in a computer screen whereas when it's a bunch of blocks or pieces of timber or whatever it is cardboard whatever that's when it becomes more social again and a face-to-face social and and there's more that's given back from that i see that as a big change in the way the way people are nowadays or the way this next generation sees things versus how we saw it and how we interacted. I I think there are two things in there. We're getting into sort of the social aspect of, of, of interacting with space that from a child's standpoint, we used to build forts. Mm -hmm. So you're working with a couple of people together on something real that you can then get inside and hey it's a cool fort right hey um, help me lift this so it's collaboration you're working together you're designing together and then i also wonder on another sort of side note to that how does that playing with physical blocks and boxes like you were saying influence or inform the child on how they occupy space on how they see space on how they understand like proportion, not necessarily that they're all going to be designers, but just how, if I'm using this box, oh, I want to crawl in that. Ooh, I can't quite get in that. It's not quite big enough. I need a bigger box because I need to use this much space to fill, yep. right? I need something this big because this is the space I fill. Ooh, I fit in that. And you come back out and you go, oh, I fit in that. That's tiny, you know, or it's, you know. A hundred percent. You know, it's funny you're saying well, this, like, yeah, go, because go, that's go, architecture in the real world is yeah you know the space that i'm in here it's got yeah. 13 foot ceilings it's got the exposed timbers it's an old building it's 100 years old it's got some real character to it but it gives you a different volume than if i was say in an office with an eight foot drop uh-huh. ceiling in the you know the grid patterns and fluorescent lights and be like it was a totally different atmosphere and that's how i relate to that space Right. Mm. And so those, those, I just wonder if you took a comparison of a child growing I wonder up building if any, things physical versus Minecraft. Yeah. How would they feel in spaces? Because, yeah, one of them's feeling in the space, the other's just creating spaces, not, but the other one's physically in the space. I, I, right. you know, like I think of the fact that, you know, you've got kids and I've got kids and, the amount of forts, um, whether they're built out of lounge suites and pillows and, you know, tent structures with, you know, sheets and blankets and, blankets yeah. and you know, all these things to hold them together. And that's often quite climatic in, in people's, you know, outcome of where they live. And then I think of, so Coco, my youngest daughter, she she will go and set up umbrella tents and like create mm. whole structures in the yard and take a million pillows down there from or cushions down there from the house yeah. and she'll lay it all out and she'll have water food you name it down there and yeah. she will go and hang in the yard for days on end just keeping building, keeping creating, shifting it around. Oh, the sun's doing this. I'll move this to here. Oh, this is happening. Right. I'll do this here. Just all those things. And last night I had a, a, a lamp delivered yesterday to the house. Anyway, I wanted to check it for a client. And it was in a big, big box. So, in fact, the Mackenzie who works for me, she had ordered the lamp. And before she'd ordered the lamp, I'd said to her, just model it in the space because it's an expensive lamp. Model it in the space. I want to know it's going to fit. I need to know the heights. I need to just know that it's going to, what sort of presence it's going to put in the space. Yeah. And she's like, yep. And these boxes arrived and I went, oh my God, this thing's way too big. This is, (laughs) we're going to be sending this back. And I'm like, oh, really? I don't need that hassle. And so I just sent her a photo of the boxes and said, Mackenzie, did you do, and I remember seeing it. I said, but did you do it? My sudden thought was, did she have the scale right? right. Had she got the scale right? You know, she's an yeah. interior interior designer. So had she got the scale right? And I'm like, oh, no, she hasn't got the scale right. Anyway, so I sent her a photo of the boxes, and I said, did you scale this into those pictures? 
And I didn't go and look at the, for the pictures. And she goes, yeah, I did. The shade is oval. So she oh. put that in the thing. But I've got this massive square box. So anyway, I think, right, I'm going to pull it all out, have a look at it, make sure it's okay, then put it all back and then take it. And the box, the big, big square box, and it's, I mean, the, the shade's maybe two foot across by maybe a foot wide, something like that. I can't think really in my feet and inches. But anyway, it's a reasonably sized shade. And it's not a, it's a lamp that sits on the table, but still quite tall. Anyway, I got it out and I put it together and then packed it all away. But before I was packing it away, there was this one big box and it had what Coco calls packing peanuts, which are like yes. those round, you know, soft things that are made out of cornstarch or whatever that yeah. dissolve. And she's like, before you fill the box, can I, so she's 13, can I jump in there? And I said, <laughs> no, it's my client's box. And it's like, and she's like, no, but I want to hop in. And I'd already been dishing all the packing peanuts out with a frying pan, but a big deep <laughs> frying pan into a big bag so that I could pour them back in around the shade. She's like, yeah, please yeah. let me do it. Please let me do it. I said, okay, fine, do it. So it was about half full. So she's in there and, you know, kid of that age, she's, can I have my, can I have my phone? I said, no, you can have mine. And so I gave her my phone and she's taking selfies of herself in the box full of packing peanuts. <laughs> And she was like, I can fit in here. She said, yeah, she said, yeah. hey, mum, look, I fit in this box. And that whole thing of space, awareness, yeah. when you were saying that, I'm going, we grew up the same as you. Like I grew up with one best mate where you had two and we were, him and I would build forts. We would build rope swings. We would build, you know, and I don't know whether you call them in American bivouacs. You call it a bivouac. So a bivouac is like basically a bunch of garden stuff all kind of piled into something that makes a a, a fort, a place. Sure. So just like a natural fort. Yeah, a natural fort. So I'd still call uh, that a fort. But yeah, right. We in in, 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 in child speak, but yeah. Yeah, in New yes, in New Zealand we call it a bivy or a bivouac. And in Australia we'd probably call it the same. I've never heard it being what it's called here. But yeah, we would create these. And we would yeah. make masses of them and we would have yeah. them. So it was school holidays. The first thing we'd do is, is make a fort. Yeah. And that right. would become our base for the school holidays. Headquarters. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Eh? And I, cool. I never really considered that until you were saying. And then even thinking about that, we would have to decide where we would position that. A, close enough right. to home, but B, far enough away. And yeah. then... I lived where there was a creek in the backyard and so did my neighbor. He was right, lived right next door to me, my best friend. We had a creek in the backyard and we had big trees, like trees, you, big trees you could climb and get up into and we'd make, you know, tree, tree platforms, really not houses, right. but tree platforms and stuff like that in there as well. But we would sleep out in our bivouacs or in our forts as well. Cool. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I think that's all about that space, though. I just a hundred percent identification of and understanding space, and yeah. then what the difference is. You know, I, as you were talking, I was also thinking about how the the play of light in a space. Mm. How does that make it comfortable? How does it make it? What, what effect does that have? The yeah. lack of or the presence of light, right? And then you're you're spending the night in the bivouac. You get to experience it in the daytime <laughs> and at nighttime, right? Yeah. How does that feel differently? Does it feel cozy or does it feel, you know, scary in some ways when it's dark? Who knows? Scary with all the stupid stories we'd tell each other. Oh, exactly. There you go. <laughs> yeah, ghost stories. Yeah. Good yeah. job. Ghost stories or murderers or whatever. Yeah, let's go there back was always to the house. something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think that that's fascinating. Though, what was that noise? Yeah, exactly. Was that you? Yeah, and and spiders and you know all those kinds yeah, of yeah. things as well. All the things that uh, I suppose most people are very conscious of. You know, I often think of architecture. Its first purpose is you know shelter, and then second purpose is security, and our Fears around security are probably higher than our fears around shelter. You know, like, 
Just draw me a big fence with an overhang on it. So I yeah, exactly. That'll get be away fine. from the rain, but it's still a fence. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm safe in here. You know that That's thing right. of locking yourself in for when you can sleep, so that you can sleep soundly. You know. That's right. Mm. I think that's fascinating. I think it's fascinating also that uh, you know you've got a, a time zone point of eight years old. That was when it kind of kicked off. That you went, yeah. I'm, this is what I'm going to be. This is what I'm yeah. going to do. Because yeah. I think there's a lot of awareness when you say that young, and you decide that's what you're going to be. And even though you said you know you went and explored, but you'd had this. Uh, set notion that that was what the future was going to hold so therefore you look for support or evidence i challenged it yeah and also I, I think of it as challenging it yeah mm. and then well, once once i graduated from from university not only did i dabble in graphic design but i also loved to travel so i tried i even i i applied to be a, a flight attendant yep <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I thought that would be cool, and I, I looked into acting, and uh-huh. I looked into being a teacher. All of these things I realized were part of me, but the more I looked into those, I realized architecture encapsulates those. We are a teacher to our staff, to ourselves, even and to, to ourselves our daily. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, and to our clients, we have to be able to present well. So that's part of acting, be able to get mm-hmm. up in front of people comfortably, to be able to talk to somebody in a, in a, a podcast comfortably <laughs> and, and be able to present a, a project to a design review board, right? That's yeah. got acting in it. Travel, I don't travel as much as I'd like at the moment, but I, th- I still think that when you travel, you are aware of other cultures and you can bring those mm. cultures and those mm. those well that's uh, being the elements that... into your design yeah right yeah. sensibilities and as far as graphic design i think that's a big role big role in in architecture and the drawing isn't just getting a drawing out on paper no. how is it laid out how is it presented how yeah. is it making yeah. it legible and more yeah. importantly making it interesting to the person who's going to be using them, the contractor, making them legible and interesting so they don't just throw them off to the side because they're too confusing to read. Yeah, you've done an architectural set of drawings, but if it's not interesting and it doesn't, and it's not easy for them to comprehend, they're just going to put it off to the side and build from the structural for guts, you know. That's- isn't, isn't that, I've never really considered this, but I have considered it, but you've just put it into words. You know, when you you pick up, I, I'm I'm always fascinated by other people's plan sets. Mm. If I can get hold of anybody's plan set, I want to see it. I want to see it. Oh, I'll send you and, one of mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> can I build it? Yeah. No. No. With a plan set. Yeah, it's copyright. Not unless you pay for me to come down there and have a vacation. Well, there you go. We could do that. <laughs> the plan set, you we'll get some. It together. I'll go. Oh well, I'm I'm thinking that you're going to be here in March next year. So that's that's a well, the plan. There's a conference planned for March next year in New Zealand, and I I know that you'll be coming well, here at the same trip. time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. you won't miss stopping in on in this part of Australia on the way. Not It'll at be, all. I need to get yeah. back there. Yeah. Go back to that piece though, where you were saying, where I was saying about the plan sets and you were saying about the drawing and the graphic design link. Yeah. I see some plan sets that I just go, these are confusing. They're so poorly laid out. The text and it's confusing. It is not joyful to look at in any way. It's overloaded. It's, there's, yeah, it, it lacks form Haphazard. and clarity. Yeah. And then I see plan sets that are like pieces of art. Mm. And when I see mm. those plan sets that, that sets that are like pieces of art, I'm able to be, get deep, deeply engaged in them. I'm looking right. into them and I'm going, what is this that it's showing me? Why does this work? Why do, why? But I haven't actually, whilst I've considered it, I haven't considered that how the graphic design of that is what makes the difference. Like that, that 
that sure it, it is. It, it, it is, can be and of course, a combination the of the fonts. It can be a combination yeah. of the different line weights used for different purposes. Yeah. It can be even shading, and it can be use of color. Now that mm-hmm. because, well, I don't know about in Australia, but here, so many jurisdictions now do submittals electronically. We don't mm-hmm. have to print everything, and mm-hmm. because and more and more people are looking at their iPads or their computers at the drawings, we can use color more now. Mm. I had always used gray shading yep. for like details and for yep. elevations to help things pop, to help things read. But yeah, I think the graphics do play a role. And ah. here's an interesting trick. If you, I don't know if you use keynotes or if you use text with leader lines, we use keynotes, say for elevations. Uh, and a keynote would be a little symbol with a number in it. And the yeah. number relates to the text. To the text. So you don't have all these lines coming in from the text of the mar- yeah. margins. Yeah, we use keynotes. Yeah. Right. So in an elevation, one way is to put the keynote well, it relates to this and this and this and this, right? Yeah. Well, what if you just align them a little bit into, into- not necessarily a grid, but so that the ones that are on the wall aren't everywhere. They're, more they're all in a line. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. You you all of a sudden you're the, the they're not breaking up the picture of that elevation and you can find the keynotes easily. You can but you can also mm-hmm. read the building easily because you don't have these keynotes interrupting it. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of subtlety, right? It well also like I'm thinking back to we the, well the other day. The other day I grabbed a plan set, simple, you know, two story structure that we're doing and it's a garage and a guest accommodation and three offices and a gym all in this Mm -hmm. one structure and it's probably around about i was going to say probably around about three thousand square feet so it's a part of a project it's part of a project it's not the project but it's part of a project but it's got a big garage the, the garage can house three cars comfortably with depth nice. in it as yeah. well. Anyway, and it's got a big mud room and things like that because it, it, it actually attaches to the house. But anyway, this piece, I got it and I went, ah, oh, I just need to check something. And so I had a print out of it and I just chucked it on the, the light box. And as I put it on the light box, I just wanted to be able to take my two A3 pieces of paper because that's what it was on, my two A3 pieces of paper, and just hold them together on the corners and put them on the light box and then and be able to overlay the upstairs with the downstairs. That's all I wanted to do and just see straight through. And uh, they were misaligned. So so one was slightly to the left of the other and slightly higher. And I was a Tim who had created them. I'm like, Tim man, what are you doing to me? And he's like, he's like, huh, sorry, what, 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 what are you talking about? I said, Tim, what are you doing to me here, man? Like this. And he's like, what is it? And I said, and I showed him now, Tim pretty much works only in a computer. Right. Not right. with paper. So he hasn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, man, can you go through this plan set and just realign everything? So it fits and he said, Oh, I might have trouble with those when it's dimensioned there. And I said, well, then work everything from the dimension set backwards. Just right. whatever it is, I, I want to see it, but I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to lay it up like this if I need to. That's funny. And yeah. when I got it, and so he did, and I, I got both sets. So I got him to print out the new set. And then I got it and I, I showed him just if I was flipping the pages, how my eye yeah. didn't have to adjust to the margins or the borders yeah. because yeah. the things were in the same place. Yes. And so well, my I, eye I, didn't do any more I'm work. that way too. Totally I can imagine. I don't overlay them. Yeah. When I take one floor plan and put it, you know, lay it out in the in the sheet, I'll mm-hmm. actually create a guide, a hotspot, and I'll copy that to the next sheet and put that hotspot. And then the next plan comes and aligns to that same hotspot because of what you're love saying. It. As I you're love flipping it. through, you, and even if it's digital, as yeah. you're going through, mm-hmm. at least it's it, one it, less thing you have to con- compensate for. Your, your, your mind doesn't have to do any more work. Exactly. It stays it stays informed. You know, when you're scrolling up a page, the yeah. same thing. If it jumps to the side, then mentally you jump to the side with it. And what it's is, like, why that? would you do that, that to that a different? person? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. then there's also, it gets into the detail sheets. 
uh-huh. if you've got all the text lining up between yep. separate details. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it doesn't jog here and there and there and there. Yeah. That's a big thing. I and think exterior is always on the right, interior is on the left. Right. So that you get this wall line through and then you can line up all. It's, yeah. But it's amazing how that makes it so much easier to read, which is what I was getting at with the graphic. A hundred percent. And it and, helps the architecture be used, you know, mm-hmm. become what it mm-hmm. needs to be. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really valid point. I think it's, uh, as I say, because I know just text and line weight and everything else can drive me insane. And I go, I, this isn't where my, where my energy should be put. Right. It, 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 my energy should be in another area. The other thing that Rick Joy says is, you know, people that are just working in computer, they lose perspective of scale because they and, work and in close up and proportion. Yeah. And so if they don't know how to hand sketch, <laughs> then they've lost proportion. And yeah. I see this as well with uh, when I look at plan sets other people's plan sets, I go, oh, that's not, doesn't feel right. And when I'm going through our plan sets, I often will go, I just intrinsically like everything I have printed out is at one to 100. And, you know, I can draw my centimeter or whatever. I go, oh, yeah, look, it there's something catches my eye and I go, just check that. And I'm checking it and I'll be like, that's too narrow. Right. Well, that's over width. Why are we right. over width there? That wasn't how it was right. conceived, but right. that's how it's been translated. Yeah. So again, this whole thing of, of being very aware of what the physical thing will be at the end. Yes. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Let's talk about land whispering. Because it's a subject close to our hearts, <laughs> both <for> of sure. ours. <laughs> In that's fact, right. I think it might be a name that you came up with. And you coined, it is. You, yeah. it is, yeah. yeah. It was something that there's a, a few of us that group around it. It was a conversation with that you and I had, and you said it's, it's the like, whisperers group. Yeah, and yeah. you, but you said it's like land whispering, and I'm like, yeah. huh, what? Write that down. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. yeah, me too. Clearly. So tell me about land whispering and your journey of not putting the name around it, but your journey of discovering it and honing it, I suppose. That would be really cool. That would be, yeah. So I'm going to tell you a tale. And it was this during graduate school. And I'd always enjoyed siding homes and seeing how homes and buildings in general were, were using or occupying a site. But I took this course with a landscape architect who talked about this family had this new piece of land. They were really excited and they would go and picnic on this special rock that they, that they just, it was perfect. It had the views and everything. And they decided we're going to build a house here. And they went through the process and they went through the construction and they're all really looking forward to the time when they could be in the house and enjoy the property the way they had when, before they built the house and the, the house was constructed and they go out and they're celebrating. They're like, wait a minute now, where's that rock? But they'd built over it. And that story is enough. There doesn't have to be any kind of summary moral to it other than it is pertinent that at times there's a site, there's a part of every site, whether it's a remodel or a new vacant site where there's this sort of sacred space. And if you put the house in that sacred space, you now have lost what made that site so wonderful. So land whispering is, is to me that concept of understanding the surroundings, the, the nature of that site, not necessarily nature itself, mm-hmm. but just what the attributes are, what the character is of that site and understanding what that special spot, that sacred spot. I don't want to say sacred too much because yeah, it makes yeah. it sound religious, but yeah. you know, that, that special element it could be a certain view that 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 is can only be enjoyed in a certain way and that's why the building has to be over this way to honor that and yeah and maybe your approach to the site shouldn't be from the normal way that you might but from another way so that it becomes a surprise it becomes a celebration of that attribute so does that adequately oh i think it does i i think the 
the fact that each piece of land has its own characteristics. And often people say to me, well, how does that work if it's just in a subdivision? And I say, well, if it's a subdivision on flat ground and there's another hundred houses around it, we may have to develop it. We may have to develop that spot. We may have to work out how to make the structure create that spot because it might not be apparent. If it's a where most of, you know, yours and my projects are, where there is land around them, especially when it's new build, then we're in touch with what that land's doing. And when you're describing that, I'm like, yeah, like there is the nature of it. And then going back to where you said, you know, not necessarily the, the nature on it. I love that fact of nature on it as well and looking and going, mm-hmm. once we build something, we're actually going to ruin this piece of land or intrinsically change it forever. Mm. What we do mm-hmm. is is going to make a, an impact. So first of all, think carefully about what we're going to do. Second of all is getting it in the right spot. Mm. So that mm-hmm. for years and years and years and years and, you know, hopefully hundreds of years to come, the core of that house is, or that home, is something that every generation that or family that goes through it actually gets to recognize that you chose the right spot. Mm. That that Whether they recognize it or whether it just feels right for that reason. It can be just subconscious. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, it, so it really deserves the time and the energy and the discipline of soaking it in, you know, being yeah. being there at different times of the day, getting what the morning light's like, getting what the afternoon light's like, the evening light, what happens, what happens if I, if this, if I was just over here or just over here, and when mm-hmm. would that be the most, the most pertinent to the people living in the house? Like I know having done projects where there's a lot of reflection of morning light off the sea and, Mm. uh, you know, like yet the, say the kitchen or something might be used a lot more in the afternoon than it Mm. would be in the morning, but it will be used in the morning. And how Mm. do we, how do we combat the reflection of the water, the light off the water, which means that you can't look outside. It's just so bright. Yeah. It's overwhelming. And yet you want to be positioned so that you see all that water. And then how do we combat that for, say, the morning for maybe the winter months where our sun's lower and it's bouncing in deeper versus in the summer months when it isn't? And then when it's more overhead, but it comes up earlier and we do it versus making sure that in the evening or the time when there's a longer space of time to spend in that space, we are getting it back again. Yeah. And and where do we position the house and how do we position the the house? Not only how do we design it, but how do we position it to get the best right. out of those? Right. Um, For sure. Get the best of it or to help protect oneself yeah, from it. it. I mean, the element could be sunlight. It could be harsh wind. Every yeah. afternoon at 4 p.m., the wind comes up. Okay, we want to enjoy our outdoor space. Well, how do we maybe use natural buffers and trees and things, or maybe we're using the building form to a hundred percent provide that. And also like you just said with trees and things, we know that trees and things brings nature. So it will bring birds and bees and things like that. And we also know that it will bring noise and it will bring dust. So if it's windy and it's acting as mm. a windbreak, we will hear it. We will hear the wind rushing mm. through it. And it will mean that the dust that settles in trees will actually blow over us as well if it's blowing towards us. I've got a project I'm doing at the moment where it has a strong westerly wind as the prevailing wind. Beautiful, beautiful views, a big gum forest to the back. But I need a total buffer on my western side, yet my western side gives me all my beautiful sunsets. Mm. So I I need to see it. But I need mm-hmm. to, and, and there's some amazing, amazing trees that I need to, you know, take into the design. I need to see it. I need to engage with it, but I don't want to be in it. And so it's and that's informing important to, everything. To, 
It is. And, and, and that's an important part. It's not just about the property or that immediate site. It's also about its environment around it. And maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a development. Maybe it's this kind of property that you're talking about where yeah. there's a view element around here. It's usually about Mount Tam or it's about mm-hmm. San Francisco or something about Bay views or Napa and Sonoma, what vineyards, whatever it might be. But there's, that element too it's it's the greater picture beyond the site just as much as it, well as much as there's a part of it or yeah. that is a part of yeah looking at the site itself when you talk to your clients about this about land whispering what's your you know what happens what's their reaction to it or do you slip it under the radar and they don't realize you're really doing it well i think two things one it's dependent on the, the scope of work. Uh, but when I do speak about it, either if it's not necessarily a main factor in what they're looking to do to their home, I, I mention it. But when it becomes something about adding an addition or doing a major remodel or a new home, then it then it definitely takes spotlight. And the feedback I get is one of, ah. Oh, I hadn't thought of that before. Oh, wow. That's a great way to think about this, Mm. this project we're looking at. So I think it almost in some ways, it goes back to what we were talking about, about building forts, right? About where is it located? What's the best place for it, right? This sort of awareness of your location and, and making them aware of that. All of a sudden, it's not just about the home and some aesthetic elements. So I want this carpet and I want this, you know, I want this color, I want this color scheme. It's about, Wow wait a minute, you know, sort of changing the focus to, yeah. oh, I get it. There's more to it than just a building. It's about the building and the property. It's and the, the property environment. Working together, yeah. You know, it's so an... I'd say that it's it's it becomes a reciprocal and it becomes like a color to the conversation. Yeah, yeah. I I, I was going to say, you know, it's it's interesting when you were just describing some of that I think of my years of tramping and camping as a kid. So we would go tramping and my dad was like a scout leader and all those kinds of things. And we would go with backpacks on and head into the wilderness and go and discover all kinds of places. And at night we'd be making camp wherever we were going. So late afternoon we'd be, you know, pulling up and making camp and, you know, your feet are blistered or aching and you're doing the hard yards and, but with that, we were learning so much about you don't put a camp here because you're going to get washed out. This is right. where the water's going to come down the hill. Where are you going to be? It's not just as that flat and not rocky. It's all these other elements. Where will right. this be positioned? Right. How will it be positioned? Will it be, how will we find the track again? You know, the light, the light changes during the day. And we would often have this thing where we would suddenly turn around like you'd be tramping along and then you turn around and you go, okay, look back and make some mental markers in case you have to come mm. back this way. Even though you're on a track, it's not a well-worn track. It's right. you could get lost really easily, you know, and we would make mental markers, but knowing that if we were returning on the same track, that that light would be different at a different time. And that's why we turned around. Mm-hmm. It was so right. that we would be aware of what it would be like so that we could use our visual memory to, capture it but then making camp was always one of these things where you really had to consider what was likely to happen in the next sort of like eight hours or 10 hours often 10 or more because of the fact that the light's going to go and you know you might have a small fire or something but you go to bed early and you'll be up with this the sun when it comes up so you might have 10 hours or more of darkness and that will it rain uh will the wind come up how will we be positioned, right. you know, like just all these different pieces and how that so much informs nowadays when I am on a site, just like you were saying. Mm. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's where's the right place for what reasons? And yes, we can bulldoze it and bust it and do all those things, but where's the right place for what reasons? And right. what heights do we deal with, you know? I have this thing, often drones have been an amazing thing for this. We will drone fly our house site. And so we just, I work out a bunch of levels and uh, I'll 
average eye line and then yeah, drone yeah. fly and spin, drone fly and spin, drone fly and spin to make sure that we don't end up missing out on what we can see from those points. Perfect. Yeah. And it's really good. Sometimes we think we're going to see further than we do. And other times we see way further than we thought we would. Right. But how, how, how often has that happened? You're like, Whoa, there are wires there. Where'd those come from? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's and, that side and also <laughs> neighboring properties. Suddenly, mm. if we just stay here, we'll see this. If we get to this, we'll get this. The other day we were doing it at a beach property and I, I said, let's fly it. And we thought we might get this big long view up the coast. And we, we didn't get the big long view, but we're still tucked behind the sand dunes and the, you know, the trees. So it was like, right. why push the building to keep going that high? We're not actually going to get what we thought we might get. So I find that really interesting. I find that breaking it down. And then also what kind of flora and fauna is there? Cause that's going to be what's going to attract different bees, you know, birds when we're when we're going to be in those environments a guy called Barton Baldridge from Texas he said to me he's doing a property and the couple bought the site next door as well and they just put it into a meadow like an urban meadow and he said what we didn't realize was how much bird song and the crickets and the bees and stuff that would come into the house yeah yeah and I went, oh, there's a real consideration. Mm. That is cool. Yeah. And that is, you know, where maybe there's back to that subdivision question from your clients. If you have then any in that situation, it's like, yeah, by enhancing that, we can bring something back to the property. A hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's not always what's there, but what's missing. Yeah. What, what could Being we regenerate it could, with? Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And that's just as much listening to the land as, as it is finding what's there. It's yeah. Finding what's lacking that we yeah. can bring back. Yeah. I think. And also when that matters to the, to the, to the client and exposing it to the client so that the client can, well, the client can either come on the journey or not. That's up to them. But when you expose yeah. it to the client, at least they've got the choice You've given them the education and whether they want to take it or not, or whether it's what matters to them or not. And yeah. any which way as the person who's going to alter the space with whatever you draw, then you can at least infuse it into it. If you, yeah. If, even, you know, without anybody's knowledge, you're always looking. Mm. I find it fascinating. I think that the land whispering part of it is something that is often overlooked and mm. yet something that's so engaging. I have a question for you, which is, I've got a couple more questions. One of them is, what is your most favorite place? And I know you just renovated your home. Yeah. <laughs> new, it's still in process. a new place and it's still in process. Okay. Yeah. So this might be harder. But anyway, let's go with it. Your favorite place in your home and why? Ah, that's a good question. I could think of several. Cool. Choose one and of them. I'll, I'll choose one, which is, it was part of the house already when we, when we purchased it, but it's this covered outside patio. And the house at this patio sort of makes an L around it. And it's open to the rear yard. And off to the left, you can see the slope of the of the hillside. For the most part, our property is flat. But to uh-huh. the left, there's a little bit of a hill. To the, and, and then the remainder of it, back behind this patio, this covered patio, are oak trees. And mm-hmm. there's some grasses. And it just has this amazing feel. We could be out 100 miles from anybody in some ways. right? And then in other ways... You know, I'll hear a dog bark or hear something happen. And, and I realize that we're in this, it's an older development, but it's, you know, our, our property's an acre, but it, mm-hmm. it's it's gotten some elbow room, but you don't feel like you're crunched in by anybody, which is beautiful. And I just love that outside feel, but also f- feeling sheltered. Mm-hmm. And it has, uh, it's just got a great feel. To it. 
So what do, when you say it's got a great feel, if you had to put that feel into an emotional word or emotional description, what would you call it? Emotional word or description. Mm-hmm. Comfort is what first comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's emotional, but yeah, I guess it can't be. Yeah, well, comfort, if you were to break it down, I imagine it has feelings of security, like you just said, with the fact that you know that you're still with your house and, and where you are. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's also got the expansiveness of the view. That, that yeah. expansiveness makes you feel that you are maybe freed from the the the, the busyness of life. You know, you're free, yeah. you get to the vision. It's got history yeah. as well in there. There's a bit of history right. in there. And so, yeah, so I imagine it's it gives you a sense of feeling of security and as well as a feeling of possibility, you know, yeah. vision. Yeah, it has some family sense to it too because we go out there and we eat dinners out there. So it's got some sort of, Community, the family and community, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. You said that there were other spaces. What were one? What was another one? Well, what we did is we there was a, a wall dividing the original living dining room from the original family room, and we made mm-hmm. the family room, which opens directly onto that patio, into our dining room, and we made the living. We kept the living room the way it was, but we omitted that wall. So now we have this great room. And it right. flows from the living room and its fireplace out through the dining room to that patio. And when you're in the dining room or patio looking back towards the living room, you can see out to the front lawn. So it's got this great feeling of hey, here again, it's 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 when the when the winds are high and the rain's happening and it's cold and you want somewhere to huddle down and have a meal, or you're on the couch and you're reading a book, it's just those spaces just work really well. There's great light coming in from the side. So it's those those would be the other spaces. It mm-hmm. really it's one space, but with sure. a couple of functions in it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the feeling it gives you. Well, emotion and what the use is. Wow. Tell me the best time. Again, I would say I would say we're eating. It's it's the family, it's the banter. Last yeah, night right. we were talking about AI. The kids were giving their input to that, and or it's the living room where we sit to watch family movies, or I sit and read my book in the early morning. You know, just so there's there's just really regenerative. Yes, spaces mm. mm. regenerative. I think that's really cool. It, it's it's something about capturing those feelings. A yours. And then I like to do this with clients and do the same thing and ask them what matters Mm. and where in your current Mm. place. Because if we lose those bits of magic when we create a new place or we destroy them in, you know, renovation or something, how do we give them back? And then, you know, interesting after talking about land whispering, and then going to the first place, which was the covered patio, it's not even in the house. It's outside of the house. It's yeah. it it actually there's a connection point to the land there. And then yeah. when you did the great room, there was a connection point to holding the elements out from you, but still feeling that you could be in touch and feel them and still see them connected. and all this. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, like that's it. one of the things that that's one of my tenants, I guess, is that as you're in a house, as you're traveling, walking through a house, yeah. when you turn a corner, that you have a view out. Yeah. yeah. Because it reconnects you, reorients you to, mm-hmm. even if you're in the house, you're still getting oriented to your position on the property. Yeah. Or in the land. Yeah. 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 Where that isn't possible, at least having natural light at the end of that. So it's not just a dark, yeah, it's a really dead good end. point. I've I've got a spot like that in my own home, and where it's a dead end. It's it's mm. not a dead end, but it's a, a hallway that finishes at the end, and then yeah. there's rooms to this side and there's rooms to that side, and rooms right. behind it. So you can't take it to the outside, and no. so we have a piece of art that hangs there, so that you right. do have a focus to walk towards. 
and really? it maybe that's where i also put a skylight above i was about to say maybe there, there a skylight could go there it would be right on a ridge beam so yeah maybe maybe not well, the thing is that you don't have to have the skylight directly above it, right? No, it the could be to could the be on side. A slope, but the mm. light well could come and mm. land where you want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I've been toying with exactly that <laughs> and, and and how how I could create that in that space because I've got the ridge beam that I go, yeah, I can't mess with that too much. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. That's that's that thing of keeping connected whilst you're in the house, keeping connected with the outside. Yes. Having that yes. sense of connection. Mm. One last question. And this is a trickier one than the last two. Uh-oh. So get ready for it. Yeah. Oh. Okay. One last project. You can't do another thing after this project. This is it. Hang the hat up. Hang the pencil up. Can't do another thing. Can't tell anybody else to do another thing. This is your one last shot at architecture. What do you do? That's really cool. I would relish the opportunity to to design a a home for n- not myself but for someone else that I could then go and visit ideally. And it doesn't have to be tricked out with every single of the latest design ideas I ever had. I think just having that opportunity to bring together the principles of land whispering with the contemporary design aptitudes and making a a home that just the joy of making a home in the process of of doing that build for someone else and their family and their legacy is that would be that would be a great swan song beautiful beautiful i love the fact that you know it would stay in part of your yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) i think it was i think it was tom condig i can't remember whether it was him or not that said oh really i'd just start a project i could never finish in my lifetime (laughs) well i had that's what took me pause because i was thinking well what if i designed a development that i'd have to be the architect to do all the different portions of it you know and and, forever uh, forever (laughs) so yeah it would be my last project but it'd be multiple parts that i just keep going i always think it's always yeah it's a fascinating conundrum that you can't do any more and he's the only one that came up with an answer that meant that he couldn't get done in his lifetime so he didn't have to stop everybody else comes up with different things like similar to what you've said and you know i get lots of things like churches parks cemeteries Mm big public spaces, you know, things that a lot of people interact with or where just a few people interact with it. And I think it's really fascinating. Part of it that's really interesting is yours was still to be able to give it to, to, it wasn't for you. Mm. It wasn't something of yours. It was something of, for somebody else. And I think that there is such a joy in architecture that, it is a lot about the giving uh, that people don't realize. It's it, it, There is so much to be able to give from, and there's so much joy in being able to do that. So. Well, there's also, for me, it, it it is part of the giving. It's such a great part of architecture is working with the people. Yeah. That yeah. if I did my, if I said, well, my swan song project would be for a house for my family. Well, yeah. but then I'm working with me, and that's not... I wouldn't, I, I think there's so many great memories that I have of working with great clients that yeah. why give that up for that last project? Why not work with somebody and then see the joy and hear, mm. you know, when, mm. when we hear from recent projects that are coming to completion and they're like, oh, so, yeah. so excited that you helped us through this. This has just been so wonderful. That yeah. is rewarding. And I'm not doing it for those praises, but I'm doing it because it's meaning something to them. But, and because it, it, and it's it, provided them something. Yeah, it's life-changing to them. Yeah. Brad, fantastic chat, man. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. I hope that we get lots of comments on it. If people want to know more from Brad about what he does and how he land whispers and about his projects, we will post all his socials. We'll tell you how to get in touch with him. 
We would love questions. If you're listening and you've got questions, please write in and ask us the questions. We will be available to answer them without any doubt. Brad's got nothing better to do than answer your questions. Uh, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but seriously, it would be, it's a joy and an honor that you listen and that you can thank take you. the time to do it. Brad, thank you for your Adrian, time, buddy. Thank you. All right. It was brilliant. Cheers, man. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will. <laughs>